Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Do you want to bring Steve Gelbs into this conversation? He joins us right now. The boxes just keep expanding and expanding. We're close to the Brady Bunch at this point. All right, Gelbs, uh, are you back from the winter meeting, Steve, or are you still in San Diego? I'm, I'm literally at JFK Airport right now. I just stepped off the plane. All right, so all right. So you've I heard that you've I heard this news. On the runway. Yeah. All right, you've heard the news. What, what's your take? Did you believe this was going to get done with Brandon Nimmo? Yeah, I did. I mean, we talked about it the last couple of days. I think. As the winter meetings went on and as some of these just contracts in the market started going higher and higher and higher, you got the sense, I mean, the days are running into each other now, but yesterday, the day before, you just got the sense talking to Mets people that Steve Cohen decided, you know what, forget it. I'm going all in. Like, we, we, can't, we can't just uh, dip our toe in is not the, the correct analogy, but, you know, you can't sign a, a closer to a record contract two starters to $43.3 million annually deals and not try and win this year. And the fact of the matter is, as high as the payroll was, they still had a lot of work to do. And there didn't seem a path to doing that work without just blowing out the payroll. And so I think Steve Cohen made it clear that whatever it takes, get the job done. And Brandon Nemo was really all that was on the market to fill what would have been a glaring hole for the Mets. So I thought it was something... You know, Todd and I talked about it the other night on the air that they may have to overpay, but it's something that they have to prioritize and have to get done. And uh, and kudos to them for recognizing it and doing it. Uh, and the Robertson deal as well. I mean, we were seeing this bullpen that had to be essentially built from scratch um, be built up and not just built up with, with pieces, but very impressive back-end pieces. So um, it's, it's coming together right now. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Saturday, December the 10th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the Talking Mets podcast.com. 
Send me a tweet at Mike Solar Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast, coming to you here on this Saturday. Uh, Well, a couple of reasons why I come to you on Saturday. Did I want to come to you a day or two early? I did. Good thing I didn't, because I've been debating all week about when to come back on the air, and I felt like you could have came and jumped on with the Verlander signing, but I knew it was there was so much more that was going to happen, and I could have probably done this show three or four different ways, and sure, it would have been more downloads, and maybe you wanted to hear me multiple days, but I really, I'm a big believer that this show is better and stands the test of time and and gets a better following when we take a step back before we jump, I see a lot of people go out there and jump. I gotta have an emergency podcast. I gotta go out. I gotta go talk about this. I gotta relax because one of the things that makes this, I think, anyway, a really good show is that we get a feeling about what happened, good or bad, why it happened, and we also get to see the reaction. And we could kind of, you know, do our little thing on that. So hopefully you don't mind. I've also been a little under the weather. No, not COVID. Not COVID. I know that first thing that comes to mind. Look, everything is going around. Had a little uh, congestion. I'm fine. You may still hear it a little bit in my voice. I've been pounding the pavement. I've been out there doing the good deed. I've been uh, following everything. Nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to get me. Uh, Nothing's going to knock me down is the old saying. So anyway, but uh, I'll start here. And look, the theme of the show is checkbook baseball. I've used that term, and I don't think I coined that term. I've, I've heard it before. I think Mike and the Mad Dog used to use it to be truthful. But I know now you've seen some of the fans of the show said, oh, Jim Bowden's using checkbook baseball. Others have used it. Well, I don't think they stole it from me. I think I stole it from somebody else. I think it was Mike and the Mad Dog. It's not, uh, there's nothing here. I'm not uh, splitting atoms here on the Talking Mets podcast, but let's let's just take a little step back and say, you know, you and I go out shopping, you go to the grocery store, you know, yesterday I got a little thing of milk from the gas station. I ran out of milk. So, you get a little thing of milk just so you have your coffee in the morning so I could come to you so I don't have to run to the, the supermarket. There's some, you know, do you call it the grocery store, the supermarket, or the food store? I've heard of different – I've always called it a supermarket. I grew up in Brooklyn, so I don't know. Maybe that's – and I'm sure if you're from another country, you call it something else. Anyway, so I get out, and as I'm paying and I'm swiping the debit card, I see $4.88. like, whoa, but I needed the milk, so – I, I took it. I'm like, all right, it's five bucks. Not what I wanted to pay. It's a gas station, and it's it's a good gas station. It's not a, a you know, that's some hole in the wall. So don't worry. I'm not gonna pass out in the middle of the show because of the coffee and the milk that I have in the coffee. But anyway, the point here is, do you think Billy Epler and AJ Preller and Heim Bloom and you know? Andrew Friedman, and I'll go on and on and on. All these big executives from different teams with the, uh, you know, from various parts of the, of the league. When they were having conversations with agents and they started to hear the prices that were being thrown around and the fact that these prices were real and there was a team willing to pay it, do you think they got the same sticker shock that I got when I got my little tiny bottle of milk at the gas station? Do you think they got the same sticker shock that you get? When I'm sure you're price shopping, everybody is, unless you just 
want to throw money around. When you look at some of the prices of meat and chicken and eggs and all the other stupid little stuff that, you know, you go and get the, you know, if you want to be bad and you go and get yourself a little thing of potato chips and 35% of it's air, but the price is 35% higher, you think they got that same feeling? Because if they did, they don't care. Now, it's good to have a wealthy owner like Steve Cohen that is going to say, hey, look, this is crazy, but we're going to need to do this. We got to do what we got to do. We got we to gotta get the chips for the party. We got to get the chicken for the barbecue. Timing bad on that, being that's 30 degrees out, but you, you get where I'm going on that. Well, look, inflation is hitting everybody, and inflation has hit Major League Baseball. And you saw it in a big way with these, you know, Aaron Judge and Xander Bogarts and Brandon Nimmo and Justin Verlander and Jacob DeGrom and so on and so forth. And I'm not surprised that the top of the market got paid. Especially with Nimmo, because there's history behind those particular numbers. I think what I'm surprised when it comes to the inflation in Major League Baseball is that the total dollar commitment that needs to be made by these organizations is so huge. And not everybody is willing to take the chance that you want to pay that 90% tax to get to $300 million. And everybody talks about it. I mean, Joel Sherman and John Heyman, oh, Steve Cohen can't go above 300. He can't go above 300. He was on our, he was on our show. He said, can't go above 300. Never said that. Now, all of a sudden, Joel's saying, well, he didn't say that. He said you should have a good payroll for $300 million. By the way, a year ago, I should be able to do a nice barbecue and go to the supermarket and not spend $350. But I have to now if I want to have the same barbecue. I want to say I have the same holiday party. I want to have the same gathering. So what am I going to do? I'm going to walk away and not do it? Maybe. If you don't have the money, maybe. The Pittsburgh Pirates walk away. They don't have the party. They just stay home for New Year's. Mets don't. They want to have the party. They make the sacrifice. So the real thing is, what you're learning is, $300 million payroll, unless you have a lot of contributing components to your or to your roster at a cost-effective rate, which really only get cost-effective if they're really good for three years. It's a short window. Uh, $300 million doesn't get you far. So inflation has hit Major League Baseball. Now, the competitive balance tax didn't change, which I think eventually there's not much the union could do. They collectively bargained it, but the NBA evaluates their salary cap based on economic factors. Maybe Major League Baseball could do the same. I know they're behind all the time. So what teams are doing in this inflationary situation is they're spreading the payments out like a credit card. So Brandon Nimmo gets eight years. Trey Turner gets 11 years. Aaron Judge gets nine years. And you know me. I've been the guy on record saying, hey, I don't want hitters getting more than five years, pitchers getting more than three years. Well, it's not going to happen anymore. You have to evaluate this thing completely different. So that's really, like, from an overall standpoint, that's that's kind of the takeaway. It's inflation is in baseball. Elite players are finally, even very good players like Brandon Nimmo, are hitting another tax bracket. This has been going on in the NBA for years, salaries of $50 million and things like that, $45 million. It's hitting Major League Baseball. The difference is you have 12 guys in the NBA – and you have to fill out a 40-man roster in, in baseball with all these different nuanced positions like you know relievers and defensive players, the bench, because you can't feel the team without it. 
and you could acquire these things throughout the season, but there's certain spots of your roster you don't want to do that. So it takes a lot to build a championship team. And I'll get to that because there's criticism of the Mets. But when we started this offseason, we knew that the Mets could take a di- couple of different angles here. They had a great season. They won 100 games. Everybody was f- not feeling good at the end of the year, but for the first time in a long time, you felt every year with this owner that you had a chance to build a competitive team, to be in on key free agents. Maybe with the farm system, you could even be in on some of the key players being traded. And hopefully while this is all going on, the Mets and the edict that has been put out there is, hey, we got to start building. Steve Cohen's like, we got to start building our own farm system. we got to be able to bring in guys that become Mookie Betts out of our system. Who's the next Brandon Nimmo? Who's our version of Justin Verlander? So for the Mets to be competitive, the blueprint that Billy Epler laid out right after the San Diego series, and he never lied to us. He didn't give us a lot of blow-by-blow of negotiations, nor should he have. I know that annoys some people. But he laid out what they wanted. They wanted a strong one-two punch. They wanted to continue to build an offense that would work counts with pitchers, have solid defensive players. You know, They don't want to have uh, the Phillies with guys like Castellanos in the outfield and, 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 and poor defense up and down. They didn't want that. Well, the Phillies have cleaned that up a little bit, be fair to them. Um, and they wanted an elite closer that was going to be able to impact games, especially in big spots, especially in the postseason. And here we are, two months later, a little bit, since the Mets have been eliminated by the Padres. And not only have they achieved that, but we're living through history, Mets history. And I think you got to take a step back and understand that. I'm not going to come, I'm, you know, I'll make my comments on Verlander and Quintana. And obviously you guys know I love Nimmo, uh, you know, all the different transactions that have happened you've probably you know heard that already but I think the most important thing is to take a step back and understand when you're living in history and I'll use an analogy maybe it's not a baseball one but when we were young guys like me who are my mid-40s and we started watching the NBA maybe the late 80s some of you were a little older started watching with Bird and Magic in the early 80s But when Jordan really took off, when the Bulls started winning championships, when the NBA started to become a global, globally marketed product, the dream team in 1992, I don't think we realized that we were living in history. What do I mean by that? We were seeing a league take the next step into becoming the behemoth that it is today. We were there at the beginning. So sometimes you don't see that. Because you're living it and you don't realize it. Very similarly, the New York Mets are taking the next step into their franchise history. A a, a history where they were built on losing, they were built on mediocrity, and they were built on the media celebrating mediocrity. And then they were built on the next phase, which is this miracle, which not really a miracle because they were a pretty darn good team in 69 with a Hall of Fame pitch. Maybe two, Kuzman's debatable, but at least two elite pitchers at the top of the rotation, a really good closer, another Hall of Famer that was like a middleman in Nolan Ryan, and some really good professional hitters and defenders that stayed within their lane and they were a lot of component guys, no stars, and did the job, and a Hall of Fame manager, at least from our perspective. 
And then we know what happened after that, and then we know about the 80s and, and, the, and the first dynasty, let's say, or near dynasty in Mets history. And then the Mets started to get into free agency like everybody else, and you had the Bobby Valentine era, and then Mike Piazza came, and you know we all know the last 20 years post-Madoff, 10, 20, 15 years, how challenging it's been with the fits and starts. Every part in Mets history, the brand has been solid, but they've never leveraged the brand to get it to the next level. I think those have said this. I think A-Rod has said this. The Mets are every bit the brand that the Cubs are, that the Yankees are, that the, the Red Sox are, that the Cardinals are. It's, but their brand's been smeared, I think, first about how they were born on mediocrity and celebrating it. Second, every time they had a chance to build a legacy and take the organization to the next level, something happened. Gil Hodges dying in the 70s. The failures of the 80s, and then not even doubling down and trying, you know, they tried to do something in a, you know, poor man's version of what you see this week in 1992 with when they built the worst team money could buy. But as soon as it didn't go well, they backed off. They were actually maybe a year too soon on that, maybe because if they had waited for Maddox and Bonds, maybe they could have gotten to that. Maybe they would have, it would have been different. Not worth talking about today. And then the 90s and Valentine and, and 2000 series, and you know what happened with A-Rod after that, and then the, the collapse in 06, 07, and things like that, and then the 2015 World Series with the, the young pitchers. So every point in history, they haven't leveraged success or foundational success. And I think Steve Cohen understands that. And I think now you look around, he's looking around, he's got this jewel of a ballpark, it sounds like they're going to start building up around it, and the soccer stadium is going to be part of it. There is absolutely no reason. You know, Queens, to me, accessible from Long Island, accessible from New York City, accessible reasonably from New Jersey, I believe, with transport, you know, a, a car, maybe not subway. And maybe that's something that – that's a big issue in New York and the outer boroughs outside of Manhattan anyway. Another thing. You know, maybe they could fix that. But the point is I think Steve Cohen saw this offseason – Two paths he could take. He could take the conservative path, whine and complain about the 90% tax, have a nice 100-win team, and very likely fall to at least third in the division and maybe come in and compete and play around for a tournament spot and maybe win, and who knows. But there was a lot of risk there that it would be considered same old, same old when it comes to how the Mets were viewed. Or he could do something different for the first time in history, in Mets history, and say, there's a door that's opening. We're going to push through that door. Now, I had my doubts for a bit because reporting has been rough here, and I've been critical of the media. I think part of why reporting has been rough is that under Cohen, with Alderson around, not really around anymore, but with Alderson coming back, part two, and Epler seems to be every bit a Bill Belichick type when it comes to talking specifics about what he's doing. Good for him. You're not getting a lot of leaked information out there. So I wasn't sure if the Mets, how willing they were to go above $300 million. All I knew was this. Cohen never said he wouldn't go above $300 million. Never said that, despite what Joel Sherman has been preaching for months. The tape is out there, by the way. It's not like I, I have to go by sourced information. I could hear it just like you could hear it. And everybody continued to say that the Mets are committed to winning. And I said, well, I look at the payroll. I saw the Verlander signing on Monday. I knew 
how close they were to 300 million. I knew what it would take to even sniff replacing Nimmo. They weren't going to if they didn't. And I knew Nimmo was worth every penny he got based on the metrics that were out there, based on the performance. You just had to look. Look with, with what you saw and what you read with Nimmo. Uh, and I knew what it took to build a, a, a competitive team in a l- really tough division, a division that has uh, a young, energetic, established winner in the Braves, a team like the Phillies. And I got to tell you, I heard Dombrowski on MLB Network Radio the other day. Guy speaks exactly how you want an executive to speak. No milly mouth. Hey, you didn't like the way I built the Phillies last year. I get it. We didn't maybe, you know, we, we tried to put some round pegs and square holes, but that's what was available, and that's what I needed to put together to win. And he did. Credit to him. And don't discount the Marlins. I know that they're playing in an arms race where they have very little shot at, they have no margin of error when they look at the, the, the kind of financial race that they're, they're in. Kim Ang, I, I, I don't envy her. But they got a lot of good pitching. They're last year they were like they lost like something like forty one run ball games. When you're in games like that, there's a lot of little things that you could clean up. Maybe a new manager like Skip Schumacher is going to do that. That could turn it around. All of a sudden now, like I thought they'd be this year, you got the low eighties pesky team that could ruin playoff seating or divisions late in the year. And now you got to play everybody once, so you're going to be going around the league. Schedules are going to be completely different. I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit different because now you're not heavily invested in the NL East. That helps the Mets a little bit. But you got to play Houston. you got to play Seattle. you gotta, you got to go everywhere. You're not avoiding you know, a three-game set. You may be paying one less three-game set against the Marlins, but that set now is against Houston. So those are three tougher games. So the Mets, Cohen knew what he had to do. And here, even with Nimmo, Getting on the phone and getting involved in closing a deal. That's all Boris wants. Boris wants top to top. How do you think the, the Nats got all these guys over the years? Boris gets top to top with the Lerner family. And let's face it. I, I thought, I always thought the Mets could win under the Wilpons. And I know Jeff Wilpon did a lot of screwball things. But sometimes I felt like the guy could never win for losing. It was like he was like Charlie Brown. But there's a big difference with a guy like Boris who has dealt with power brokers and power owners throughout his career as an agent when he talks to a Steve Cohen who has accomplished a hell of a lot in his life and versus Jeff Wilpon or Fred Wilpon. Fred Wilpon, and this is not meant disrespectfully, I think he's a great, and I know he's a nice man because I've talked to people who have dealt with him. He's a guy that got into real estate, took the Long Island Railroad into the city and built an empire. He's a lot more regular. He's richer than us, especially after selling the Mets. But he's more like you and I than you think. And I think that that is where Cohen, even though he's a fan, Cohen has gotten out of that uh, sphere of wealth and gotten to the next serious deep end of the pool level. There's no more used car salesman making a nice buck like Bud Selig did and buying a team. You need to either be Steve Cohen who has basically – He's a single guy. He's a singular person that built his own big financial group or an actual financial group. And the best part about Cohen, and I think you're seeing it in Boston. I think I saw Dave Portnoy of Barstool talk about it, is that when you have a group of people come together with money, it's not exactly there's not exactly that connection to the city. 
they're going to look at this more dollars and cents. And I think Cohen will eventually. I think he's agreed to do this while they clean up what he's got. So Cohen has the money of a big equity group, but he has the passion of the team. I think he enjoys seeing, I think it's his wife's father, go to the games and enjoy as a lifelong Mets fan. You know, his daughter tweeting out, you know, being at the ballpark. What they're doing with this speakeasy club and some of the things that they're trying to put together, I think they want there to be an experience for the New York Mets. They want there to be an experience for this club when you go to the ballpark and wealthier people. And there will be a trade-off. And I'm gonna and I've warned you guys about this before. Playing checkbook baseball is fun. Doesn't guarantee anything but some real fun shows and some real good feelings during a time where there's no baseball on the tube. There's no three game. You know, this is not the same feeling like when the, the Mets took four to five from the Braves in August. That was a better feeling because that's tangible results. This is a hopeful feeling. And it warms your hearts. But there's a trade-off to all this. Things are going to get more expensive. There's going to be an element coming to City Field of what I guess we'll call the Chardonnay crowd that you may not like. And embracing the Mets' history is going to be similar to a wealthy individual who made it and who has a lot and talks about the charm of when they were in that one-bedroom walk-up with very little money and the things they had to do to make themselves who they are today, where it's there's charm in talking about it, but you and I know they don't want to go back and live that life. There is charm in things that I've done in my life, not that I'm Steve Cohen, of course, and they were fun times, but I feel I've accomplished things in my life where I'll talk about it, it there'll be some fun stories about it, but... I don't want to relive it. And I'm not sure every Mets fan understands that. I think there's a lot of Mets fans that enjoy, I know there is, because I can see their behavior, wallowing in misery, wallowing in losing, wallowing in near misses. Because now there's a bullet on the team's back. I mean, Joe Sherman wrote it out loud. I read you the quote. I'll try to find it. I should have had it up. But I'll try to find it before the show's. Buster only back to his old tricks. Look at what the Braves have for $180 million, all these players, and look at the Mets who they have to, have to spend to keep their own players. Well, I, I remember two years ago when these contracts were signed, everybody was ranting and raving about how the Braves were taking advantage of these poor, uneducated South American players who voluntarily signed the contract, by the way, and had reasons for it. And instead of respecting those reasons... And understanding the background where they came from, let's just judge them. But now that's good, and the Mets are bad. You know, I think even Austin Riley, who's from this country, I thought he sold himself out early in terms of what he could make, in terms of years. But players now are looking at a dollar compensation package, and how you get to that with years is how you get to that. They don't care about the AAV. And I'll tell you, and I'll get more deep into this maybe at some point, I really have to lose the complaints about Lindor. I mean, Lindor, you're not paying until he's 40s. I mean, I still think you could have got that contract for a little bit less, but does it matter at this point? From the the tax, the luxury tax, it does. So maybe there you have a little bit of a gripe. But 
Uh, that's not a bad contract when you look at Trey Turner, what Correa is probably going to get, Xander Bogarts. And I think, you know, you could debate who's better, but I think Lindor stands right there with all of them. I think Turner's the best one, but, you know, that's that's a whole thing. So understand we're living in history and understand Mets history and understand that they've never taken a door opening and brought the franchise to that next that that sustainable, successful next level that the brand deserves. Something's always happened. Gil Hodge is dying. Bad trades in the 70s. Mike Sosha home run in the 80s. Drugs in the 80s. The worst team money could buy. Generation K. The Subway Series loss in no A-Rod. The collapse 07-08 when you thought you had, with Reyes and Wright, the next foundation of great Mets position players that could take them to countless postseason battles. Same with the four aces. Who who could have thought that Matt Harvey would fizzle after 15? And who would have thought the Mets would never get back to even a a one playoff game with a play-in with the Giants? But who would have thought that that was it, 15? It came and gone. That window opened and it closed. And now there's the Steve Cohen era. And they'll be, and I said it, they had to do this. They had to play checkbook baseball in the near term to stay competitive. While Alvarez figures stuff out and Beatty and this kid Ramirez, and I don't know what the hell Vantos is going to be, and I know they got a bunch of young arms that we probably won't see for two years at least. So sit back, watch, listen, read, enjoy, And understand that you're in another part of Mets history. Now, that means Mets history that probably, if you have a betting person uh, in your family, they're going to bet this is going to go bad because every other iteration of this has gone bad. But I don't know. This one feels different. This one feels serious. And you've got a GM tree that has a Yankee connection. You have a manager's tree that goes all the way back to Casey Stengel. I know that you're not going to like me saying there's a Yankee connection, but it looks like by injecting Yankee blood in the front office on the field and a Yankee mindset from the Steinbrenner playbook in the owner's box, that the Mets may finally get the Mets brand to where it needs to be. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Let's quickly break down the moves. It's not going to take a a high-level baseball analyst to say that there's there's good moves. I think the Mets did some quiet things that I think you should like. I think you should like the process in a lot of ways. We're going to get to other things. Jacob deGrom, I I, I want to talk briefly on the way out about Jacob deGrom. I think it's really unfair how he's being treated and talked about. And the Mets aren't done by all reports, and they want another starter. And I'm going to tell you why I still think... Chris Bassett should be that guy, not Kodai Senga. And I like Ross Stripling, but he ain't Chris Bassett. So more to talk about. Take a step back here. Go get yourself a coffee, a water, whatever. Too little too early. At least I'm recording this before 9 o'clock on a Saturday, so I'm not going to tell you to get a beer. Take a uh, quick break. We'll be back with that and more right after this. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. 
The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one. Triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. So here's the quote. I found it during the break. Uh, let me go grab it right here. This is the quote from Joel Sherman in his article. Uh, everyone, bleh, everyone around the Mets better be that, unflappable. Because where this payroll is going, the dollar signs are going to be bullseyes. The expectations of the dollars are rising and flushing. Well, that's happened since the guy who owns the team signed up a couple of years ago. Nothing's changed. They just, they're putting it out there. It's not a concept. It's a reality. And if you don't think after 100 wins and Buck winning manager of the year, 
and Epler coming in and having a really good offseason, knowing that level of performance and how hard that is to achieve in this game, what was achieved in 2022, that they're not already, before all this, have a plan to come to spring training and set a theme and a tone from a culture standpoint so that there's a work mindset. Not a looking back mindset, a looking forward mindset with this organization. Then you weren't watching Buck and Billy Epler already. That's all I'm going to say. Now, as far as the moves and what they did, I would love. First, the first goal was Ace, you know, to pair with Scherzer. Somebody take the pressure off of Scherzer. There were only two guys out there that could have, three guys. Once DeGrom got off the board, two guys Verlander and Carlos Rodon. I do not believe a seven-year deal, even with the crazy money and Cohen's checkbook for a guy that has a long injury history, uh, his season that was outstanding in 2022, is, even though he was talented enough with, that was what they expected. That's an outlier. Uh, And I don't think signing that player over a Hall of Famer on a short-term deal for two years was a good idea. It was Verlander a bust, and the real question I had after we had spoken a week ago at this time, right after DeGrom signed with Texas, was that would Verlander really want to come here? He had the Dodgers, he had Beverly Hills, you know, his, his wife is a supermodel. You have the, the allure of going back to the uh, world champs in Texas, a place he's been, a place where he became a better pitcher. He's never pitched in a big market. He pitched in Detroit before that. I had my doubts, and obviously he met the the Mets on a Zoom, he did his due diligence, and he was impressed enough with what they told him. And they gave him a contract, just like Scherzer, the same contract that I thought they'd be able to get DeGrom for, not with the two years and the option, but the three years. And he took the challenge. And, you know, I'll get into DeGrom maybe on the way out, but to me it's six of one, half dozen of another. Would I have preferred DeGrom? Yes. He's the homegrown guy. He's the guy with history. He's the guy that I think left us wanting the last two years. And maybe that's why he left. But you're getting a guy that's won, what I said, something like 38 games and 10 losses over the last two years. A Hall of Famer. A guy, there's an article today in the New York Post that it, after the 2014 season where his body was breaking down, went out and found ways to learn about his body. It's amazing how there's a lot of, Eastern medicine ways of managing your body that all this Western medicine money that the teams have, the players got to go outside of the clubhouse to find it. And Verlander did that to kind of get his body aligned. Anybody, you know, I get it done. I get my, my, myself aligned and I could tell you it's, it's made a difference more than just back pain, all sorts of things that come good out of it. I'm not doing the high level training that Verlander's doing. I'll tell you that. So, you know, there's that on the whole thing. Uh, I think, also, and this is should have been maybe the way to start the segment, I think quietly the Mets have done a really good job, and this is the thing that used to always burn them during the Wilpon era, in making smaller moves, whether it be uh, claiming Stephen Ridings off of waivers, uh, you know, picking up a guy like a lefty like Taylor Saucedo, uh, the trade. I know everyone liked Jake Magnum, and they need some outfield depth, but Jeff Brigham and Eliza Hernandez from Miami, you know, I think that uh, is a nice move, a depth move. This kid, Zach Green from the Yankees on the Rule 5. The Yankees, 
All I can say between Ridings and Green, I don't know what they're going to become of with the Mets. But the Yankees churn out good bullpen arm after good bullpen arm after good bullpen arm, just like Tampa, just like it seems like the Dodgers. So until the Mets laboratory, their analytics team figures that out, go steal them when you can from another organization for a very uh, reasonable cost. So they've been working on their depth. William Woods from Atlanta, things like that. So to me, that's, you know, that's a big deal. Uh, I love the bullpen move for Robertson. You really have two closers now. I don't like the walk rate. You know, I, I kind of crowdsourced why the walk rate, walk rate jumped so much in Philly. The only negative I saw in Philly with Robertson, my own uh, observation, was that he was overused against the Mets, and they had that comeback win on Sunday when Canna hit the home run. I think that'll be – and that's really the feedback I saw from some Phillies fans that responded on the uh, the timeline. But if that's a, that's what's causing Robertson to spike and walk rate and have some spotty outings, that's not going to be a problem under Buck. I thought he handled Edwin Diaz fabulously. He knew exactly how to, how to work these guys and then push them when the time came. Uh, I'd like them still to see if they could – if they're, they still have a desire to spend more, which it sounds like they do. I don't know if it's just going to be for a Senga or a Bassett. But I think Aravino now in the seventh would be interesting. I have some, the concerns I have, and similar to Bassett with the with the new rules with the runner, but also with the command and control. You know, Aravino had an historically good command and control year for his history. Historically, for him, I'm not sure you could expect that, and we saw him regress in the postseason that one game. So that's something that. You know, clearly, uh, you know, came into it. Uh, I love the trade for for Brooks Raley, the lefty reliever from Tampa. There's a guy that you exactly need. You know, gets lefties out, gets righties out, gets lefties out at a high level, gets righties out. Uh, you know, he's a guy that was a scrap heap guy for the Rays. How come the Mets can't get a guy like that? I mean, who the hell knows? Uh, let's see if they start to find those guys with what they've been doing. But I love the move. And I think he's going to be an important piece. That's why when someone says the Mets need another lefty like lefty like Andrew Chafin, that's not where I see them going. If they're going to go, they're going to go for the best reliever possible at a certain price, like an Adovino. They don't necessarily need a lefty. They got a lefty. And then they got this kid, Saucedo. They've got uh, Joey Lucchese, who some have always felt are, is better as a lefty. And now, you know, depending if they get Senga, you have David Peterson and Tyler McGill, where they need to be, number six and number seven in the depth chart, not four and five. They were too high up on that. Uh, on the Jose Quintana note, I had a negative reaction to it when it first came out because he's basically a league average pitcher, maybe a little bit more. And what he did in St. Louis last year after he got traded from Pittsburgh, and he had a good year in Pittsburgh, I felt was an outlier. But the more I look at him, and I said this, I actually tweeted this, uh, the more he's the kind of guy I like. Um, he's a guy that has worked on his repertoire. He's a, he's a location guy. He's a command guy. He's a control guy. It looks like the changeup, and he's got a little bit of Johan Santana feel to him when you see him pitch. I haven't seen a lot of him. It's like because of the pandemic and because St. Louis is in the central, he didn't pitch against the Mets either with the Cardinals or the Pirates. He's just not paying attention. When someone's the Pirates, you're just not paying attention. Um, so... Um, I, I think the move is a good move. I think if you're looking at it in terms of Taiwan Walker, I mean, talk about inflation and sticker shock. Taiwan Walker gets four years and $72 million. I knew he'd get paid. I didn't think he'd get paid like that. 
I mean, Jamison Tyone, who was starting to warm up to, four years, $68 million. I could understand that a little bit more than Walker. But look, you know, again, the market's dictating. Pitching is at a premium. This is the new threshold for performance. Players are establishing it. And now they don't, you know, that's what it's going to cost. You have to readjust your expectations. So, you know, Taiwan Walker type, that was a great signing by the Mets. They got value out of it, and away you go. So uh, I, I think I was hard on the my initial reaction of blah with, with Quintana. I think it's a good signing. I, I think my concern there is I don't want the Mets to... Spot him in more for the Bassett. I think the Bassett slot in the rotation is critically important. It really is. And then, look, you get to Nimmo, and you guys know all this stuff that happened. And, and this is why I'm glad I waited. I mean, here I come. I was traveling on Thursday. I get home at 9 o'clock on Thursday night, and I and I had been checking Twitter like a half an hour earlier. And as soon as I get, I take a little quick shower, and I check Twitter. I see that both David Robertson and Brandon Nimmo signed. like, whoa. And you can't ask for more than that. A great Thursday night. I mean, that's the thing about free agency in this time of the year is that you're going along your business. There's nothing going on baseball-wise. And then at a moment's notice, at a snap of a finger, news breaks and your whole, like, feeling about the Mets could change. It's just that's always the way it's been in these off-seasons. Even when they've had not great off-seasons but more nuanced moves, it's what happens. I'm tired of having this conversation uh, everything I've said about Nimmo for about four years is right. He got the contract that I told you he was going to get a $150 million contract. He was going to get, he didn't get $25 million a year AAV. He got way more years than probably I would have been comfortable giving him. He has improved defensively. Yes, I know he doesn't have a great arm, but he has improved and worked on his game every year. He, I know you guys think it's sacrilegious from a baseball standpoint to compare him offensively to guys like Bryce Hopper and Shohei Otani and power hitters. But you could either score a run by hitting one in the upper deck, or you could create, and, and that's how you create a run, or you could create a run by getting a double, by walking, by you know running the bases well. And when you combine the runs scored with the runs driven in and everything together, the combination of those runs with run creation comes up with is the same for A and the same for B. It just looks different when you watch it on the field. You may have a more of an affinity for Bryce Harper's style. I have more of an affinity for what Brandon Nimmo does. Love to, not saying I don't like what Bryce Harper does or don't want what Bryce Harper does. That's why you have Pete Alonso types. So, um, I, I don't understand why it was always this hard to, to grasp that. And if you don't like the stat run creation or F-war or war, fine. But every player in the league is evaluated on the same formula with those with those uh, stats. So you can't evaluate everybody as a home run hitter. You can't evaluate everybody with RBIs because there's different parts of the lineup. But you can evaluate, and that's the part. That's where in their right lane – these stats are valuable because 15 years ago when this show started, there's no way we'd understand that. And I probably would talk more like you or a lot of you that think, well, this is an overpay. He's not a good player. He's a fourth. Out- He's not a fourth outfielder. A fourth outfielder 
would not have gotten the interest in free agency that Brandon Nimmo got. Come on. There's not 30. There's a lot of stupid people in baseball, but there's not 30 stupid people in baseball. There's not five, you know. uh, You're not going to tell me that I don't need these five stupid people running teams in baseball. And I'm sure that that's where Nimmo has market went. And I told you guys, if they had not signed Nimmo and they walked on that contract because of the luxury tax, because they felt the years were too long, it would have been virtually impossible. You would have changed the fabric of the offense. Yeah, you could have went out. Maybe you would have gotten uh, Conforto. You go sign a defensive player like Kiermaier. I mean, people are saying, well, the Mets will pivot to Kevin Kiermaier. Do you understand Kevin Kiermaier is a below-league average hitter, a defensive player, strikes out a lot. Uh, he's not in the same league as Nemo. Do you understand that any uh, anybody who signed Nemo, whether it be the Giants, the Dodgers, the Yankees, whatever, their offense immediately got better by a lot? We ran the numbers with the calculator. The Mets might drop to four and a half runs per game, maybe more league average. And I know a lot of you guys didn't like how the offense performed late in the year. Uh, and I understand that. I think the DH spot being a black hole was a big issue throughout the year. And then Ruff came in and didn't help from the right-handed side. I think that'll get better. I really do. I think Escobar, full-year Escobar playing more like who he is, that'll make it better. I don't think I see more offense being imported. I think they're going to rely on the kids. They're going to rely on Alvarez. They're going to rely on Beatty. They're going to rely on Vientos. At some point, you got to throw these guys into the fire. Maybe you're not going to throw them into the deep end. You're going to give them 300 at-bats or 250 at-bats, and you hedge your bets a little bit with the veterans. But something's got to come. Some of the farm system has to contribute. You have to take a chance on some part of the farm system, and that's where they're doing it. So to argue with everybody, are the Mets better today than they were two months ago? I think that they're not complete yet. I think I could go to war with this team, and I think that they're very similar to last year. I do think the extra pitcher would help because I'm not convinced that a rotation without Bassett is as good as last year. I'd like to see if they could add another veteran arm to the bullpen like Adovino. Um, I don't know what other depth components are there. Outfield is really thin. I could like to see what kind of opportunistic signings into January they could do with depth, especially with backup outfielders and things like that, you know, if there's injuries. I know you have some flexibility with McNeil and stuff playing the outfield. But I think it's really hard to take a 101-win team and tell it with the amount of free agents they had and key free agents, Diaz, DeGrom, Bassett, pretty much all their rotation it seemed like their best run creator or one of their best run creators, right? They would make Neil and, and Alonzo was a free agent. Have all that. Bring everybody back but so far but the Grom. I mean, Bassett's the one where maybe there's some debate whether you could replicate him. And replicate those. So you bring the guys back you need to bring back. You replicate the Grom. And tell me that where they are now is a bad place. And you're assuming that the Braves are going to play on a 117-win pace uh, again. Very difficult. You're taking a month worth of good baseball from the Phillies in small sample size series and replicating that over 162 games. Very dangerous. A lot of 2015 Mets in that team. you got to make some serious changes. And they have. They have gone out. They got Walker. They got Trey Turner. That's a big move for them. And improve. They're a good offensive team. They're better defensively than they were. 
just a week ago. But you know, the Mets are a pretty good team. Not gonna be, you know, they the offense is an offense with Nimmo that grinds pitchers down, gets them out of the game, works counts, makes contact. They play really good on the other side of the ball defensively, so they're not sacrificing there. You heard Billy Epler. They don't want to sacrifice there. And um, I don't know what more you want. Is it always the most fun offense? Is it, you know, like shooting three-pointers and running up and down the court? It's not that kind of offense. But it's a good offense. So I don't subscribe to the whole thing where today I don't care about the money. I've said from day one, the money only bothers me if it prevents them from making the team better. And there's no indication that that's the case. And these are short-term deals. They have to improve the farm system. They have to improve the farm system so they could have their own Stephen Ridings. They could have their own Greens. They could have their own Brighams. They could have their own, you know, whatever. So to me, you can't complain about anything that's happened over the last week at all. Can't complain. The team is building itself to bring the band back just like I asked back in October. Now, we're going to take a quick break, and when I come back, I'm going to tell you why I don't think Kodai Senga should be that next guy. I know there's some controversy on that. We'll talk about that and more right after this. I do want to go back to you here, Andy, on Kodai Senga. That's a name we've heard quite a bit of in recent days. Are the Mets still in on the Japanese pitcher? Very much so. Uh, we're at the point now where the Mets could be looking at a two hundred, or excuse me, a three hundred and fifty million dollar payroll man, if oh, they man. are able to land that target. I'm told the Mets really, really want Senga. They're not the only team, but we know that when the Mets are motivated in this uh, Steve Cohen era, uh, much of the time, if not all the, not all the time, but much of the time, they get what they want. Uh, so that's definitely something we're still tracking. Senga's said to be moving a little, a, a bit of a more deliberate pace in his free agency. Uh, the Mets believe that they're done for tonight. Um, two big signings, enough for one night, I guess, but they're still on Senga. So everybody's excited about Kodai Senga. And we had Jim Allen, our friend from the Far East, on the show a couple of weeks ago. And you, if you haven't listened to his, we had a long conversation about Senga. We talked a little bit about Otani and you, Darvish, and guys like that. But if you haven't listened to it, you really should. Here's my problem with everybody talking about Kodai Senga. Media, fans, how much do you really know about him? You have a couple of blurbs with executives who are giving you the good give you you have a couple of videos mainly from the wbc maybe some uh mpb footage and you see you know a nice splitter maybe a fastball located perfectly and you say well this guy's gonna be a star and i'm not saying he doesn't have the potential i mean you know there's there's japanese players who've come over like you know nomo um you know Daisuke you know, guys know what Darvish has been through. You know, everybody, I think everybody gets the feeling that the, every player now is going to be Otani. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, Arabus in that mix, too, by the way. And my problem with Senga is this you have Verlander, you have Scherzer. Okay, you have a st- stable innings guy that could give you quality innings, and maybe more if he's evolved with some of the changes the Cardinals and the Pirates have made to his repertoire later in his career. It happens. 
A guy like Rick Reed got much better later in his career. Pitched here a, a while. But Chris Bassett, who you all hate now, it seems like, because he talked openly about the challenges in New York, had a stinker against the Braves, and wasn't much better against the Padres. But everyone forgets that he's a 15-game winner. He's a guy that before he got clocked in the head a couple of years ago was on pace to potentially compete for a Cy Young Award in Oakland. When you look at Mania, Montos, and Bassett, he's probably the best of three very coveted pitchers for an Oakland team with no kind of payroll that made it to the, at least the wild card game and had some really good regular seasons. And when you have older pitchers, and you saw when Scherzer went out, he struggled a little bit for a couple of starts, and I think that was the adjustment personally with the pressure that Bassett's talking about. But when he was the de facto ace, when there was no DeGrom, when there was no Scherzer, he gave you innings and he gave you good innings. You know, earlier in the summer against Atlanta when they needed to win two out of three, Bassett was there giving you six solid innings. I don't know if I see a Kodai Senga going into Atlanta when the Mets need to win a series and not walk in the ballpark. Uh, How is he going to adjust to the country, the culture, the league? There's a lot of adjustment. He's a bit of a lottery ticket. Now, on a five- or six-year deal, which is reported that he's going to get, you have time for him to figure it out. Maybe year three, he'll be really good. Even you, Darvish had to develop a little bit. He was highly touted coming over. Tanaka with the Yankees. I mean, more of an, uh, uh, you know, Kuroda, guys like that. You know, maybe he could develop into some of those solid pitchers. But for a win-now team where... You kind of want that stable, really... I'm not saying he's an ace, Bassett, but a guy that could pitch top of the rotation. I don't know if Quintana could do that consistently. Uh, I certainly don't think Carrasco could do it. I mean, Peterson McGill, Wildcard, Lucas. I mean, they're not in that sphere. Going for Senga over Bassett. Even Ross Stripling, who I like, a guy who doesn't walk a lot of guys and could swing in and out of the bullpen. You know, Maybe a little bit like Trevor Williams. I think the only option you have to really replicate the rotation at the level it is, it may be better if it were a healthy Verlander, and you could argue maybe Verlander's better than DeGrom. If you want to make that argument, I'm not going to sit here and say you're crazy. I think Bassett's the only choice. Now, I am not in the meetings, and it is a fair concern to question how he's going to handle the pitch clock. Now, there's a, a guy who's an artiste, and sometimes he would uh, spend more time on the mound than he should shaking the catcher off. Maybe technology will help that. Maybe they have something in the in the hopper with the, uh, what is it called? The pitch com. But everybody who is expecting Senga to come in and be, you know, Hideo Nomo 1995, I don't know if you could expect that. And here's a guy that has had shoulder issues that hasn't pitched uh, close to 200 innings or the sphere of innings that Bassett has. He's a guy that has command issues. Uh, he's got a good fastball, but it's not going to you know blow anybody away. Secondary pitches need work. You have Jeremy Hefner. You have some smart guys here that they've brought in, driveline guys and, and, and what have you. So the Mets are doing their thing from a development standpoint, but you're you're – Counting on him to be your number three, unless you consider Quintana. I consider Quintana a better version of Walker. 
And I don't think there's any reason to believe that he's guaranteed to have as good a season as Bassett had in 2022. If he gives you, for over the course, on average, what Bassett gave you in 2022, over the course of his contract, you'd sign up for that now. And I don't know if it could count on that. It certainly could be better. You know, you guys are all acting like you got the next Verlander from Japan. That's not what I heard Jim Allen say. We talk more Haruka Kuroda, Tanaka, good pitchers. Love to have those pitchers in the rotation. Yes, those pitchers are in Chris Bassett's league. The names I just, from those, from those old Yankees, old Dodger in Kuroda. But he may become that. Now, if you're willing to play around with that risk and see where the rotation shakes out in 2023, I'm not going to totally dismiss that. But you're bringing Senga in, assuming that you have Carrasco and Quintana in the rotation. You're not trading Carrasco. Um, You got a three-game series, and you need to win a game. I have more faith in Chris Bassett giving you a good outing than Kodai Senga. Bit of a lottery ticket. I know people like lottery tickets. They like upside. But in best case scenario, and listen to Jim Allen. When you have a guy who's had to has some shoulder issues, which I don't like shoulder issues. They're not like elbow issues. When you have a guy that is adjusting from a totally different league to a totally different culture, food, language, so many things. There are so many things that could go wrong. And I don't think he's going to make $20 million a year. But... You know, it's not like he's going to be making significantly less to come here. And with the with the fact that there is some excitement about what he could be, don't be surprised after watching all the prices throughout the last week at the winter meetings. The prices skyrocket on pitchers. Don't be surprised that the price is a little bit more off-putting than you want and that you might say if they do go this route, man, I would have just given the money to Bassett. I think you pivot. It sounds like it's going to be a long, protracted negotiation. I know Billy Epler likes the Far East. The Mets have not done anything in the Far East. And from a branding standpoint, I'm sure Steve Cohen's thinking about it. You bring a a popular, potential Japanese player into the the fold. It's great for business. Great for business. You saw it with Matsui with the Yankees and Tanaka and so on. Even when Rabu pioneered and came over, you guys remember, even though he didn't work out. But I could see this guy being more Arabu or as much Arabu as he is Tanaka. And I don't know if you're getting you Darvish either, by the way. And let's face it, you Darvish has gotten a hell of a lot better. He had his ups and downs, and he was a lot younger. Right? I'm pretty sure he was a lot younger when he came over. A little bit younger, maybe. So, let's all calm down. None of you have watched him. I had a guy who's watched him a lot and spoken to him come on the show and give you a very fair, balanced scouting report. But he didn't throw it down and say, hey, this is a guarantee. Far from it. And I think Chris Bassett, where the Mets are right now in the win-now mode, and I like Bassett's moxie. I like his honesty. I liked his type A personality. That clubhouse, everybody talks about how great the clubhouse was. The clubhouse was good because of the people that were in that clubhouse. You pull a lot of those people out of that clubhouse, it's a different clubhouse. In a way, you're still getting to know some components of this Mets team, the getting-to-know-you phase that we like to talk about here in April. It's just that you have some foundational knowledge of what you're dealing with where you didn't have that last year. You pull a lot of those guys out, there's a lot more getting to know, and you may not like what you know, 
60, 70 days into the season if you don't bring the band back. So bring the band back, Billy. Bring Bassett back. And, I mean, unless it's getting crazy, Bassett, I mean, see, I thought Bassett would get something like what Taiwan Walker got, but maybe he gets, you know, $75 million for three years. You know, what is it, AAV? Do they want to stretch him out? I mean, with pitchers, I probably would, would just rip the Band-Aid off and pay the AAV, but, you know, it's not my money. So, anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up, but we're going to talk about Jacob deGrom on the way back out. And I'm going to tell you, I have no hard feelings. I don't have a problem with what he said, and I really don't like how he's being treated by some members of the New York media. You're listening to the Talking Bets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Um, you know, going through the process, um, you you have you set up meetings with teams, and whenever I found out the the Rangers were one of those teams, I was I was really excited. And then, um, you know, getting on a call with uh, Cy and Boach, um, you know, hearing the vision of of what the Rangers want to do, and and ultimately getting to meet Ray and, and the vision here and bringing uh, a World Series here. Uh, that's the goal, winning a, a World Series. And these guys all had that same vision, and it, it lined up with what what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, it was uh, they showed a ton of interest right in the start, and the feelings were mutual and just very happy to be here. All right, we're back. You guys just heard Jacob DeGrom. Real quick, uh, this tweet came up as I was in the break. Uh, per Jim Bowden, I'll give the, the Daniel Wexler, we, at Wexler Rules. You know, Daniel does good work. He's a big critic of mine. I think he, I think he used to do stuff with DeMeo at one point. Um, but uh, per Jim Bowden, uh, MLB Network Radio, multiple front office executives told Brandon Nimmo he had more teams pursuing him than any other free agent in baseball. That ain't a fourth outfielder, guys. And I'll tell you another thing before I get to DeGrom. And I know you're tired of me talking about Nimmo. I think Nimmo's going to become like the Don, the new Dom Smith, but in a positive way. And geez, if Nimmo doesn't perform, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to have a lot of a lot of anti-Brandon Nimmo hives coming after me. I'll tell you that. But Brandon Nimmo will probably, let's say he does like, you know, four baseball reference five wins above replacement per year over the next four or five years, he'll be in the Pantheon with Beltron, Wright, Strawberry in terms of wins above replacement. And if he plays out this contract and it's full, he might go down as when you look at all the offense together, conglomerate, one of the best offensive run creators in Mets history. He might be the he might become the standard of that. And don't be surprised that we're talking, what, 10, 12, 13 years from now, him as a Mets Hall of Famer. And maybe Jersey retired. Now, if they beat him the captain, which they've talked about, the way he conducts himself, that you know, just a good guy, I think. Let's see how the, you know, now he's got money and he's got a big contract. That's going to change things. Like, he walks to that clubhouse, he's not the same guy anymore. I have a feeling that, He's built for it, but you never know. So there's a lot of ifs with Nimmo. I know that. He's going to be here eight years. We have a lot of time together. You know, married to Lindor, married to Nimmo. Get used to it. You know, hopefully McNeil and Pete Alonso are next. I don't know if the Mets are going to want to jump ahead on that. Uh, might make sense. They'd have to probably scale the money back this year if they wanted to sign them to an agreement to save some tax dollars. But... Maybe they don't care. I mean, it's going to be a $400 million payroll when you add taxes in. 
It's crazy. And to think about where the Mets have come in just a couple of years, it's crazy. You would have probably signed up for half of this dream two years ago, not even the full dream. Say, hey, you know, would you sign up for half that? And meaning, you know, all this money, you know, would you sign up for a $250 million payroll? Probably would have consistently, not 400. 30% less, whatever. You know where I'm going. Uh, DeGrom, you heard the DeGrom quotes. Everybody's getting crazy. DeGrom liked the vision of the Texas. DeGrom, you know, was disengaged on the team bus. John Heyman basically, you know, saying, you know, yeah, his politics and his vaccination status caused problems within the Mets clubhouse. I don't believe that. You know, the Mets were, you know, we're, we're going back to that again. I don't know why that's even a conversation. I thought we kind of figured out what that was all about. And we kind of, like, don't we want to put that in the past, how, how divisive that top conversation is? Like, I'm really disappointed in John on that. That's a divisive conversation on both ends of the aisle on that. Um, here's what I know about DeGrom. I think he's a guy that wants a certain lifestyle that clearly, just watch him in that press conference if you watch the video. He's not particularly comfortable being in a room full of people talking. Watch his body language. It's not great. He's always very close sometimes, too. Like, not on maybe on that one as much, but when he's been on those Zooms with reporters, he's very closed. Watch him. And I'm not an expert, but I do talk to people for a living, and I read people, not expert level, but pretty well. So... I don't understand why on the way out the door, this is the kind of crap that the Boston media does. They did it to Jason Bay on the way out the door. They do it all the time, where once you leave the, the, the hive, they throw you to the wolves. And now everything that you did wrong that they didn't like about you, that they never said to you while you were here performing for their team, they, they, they bring out there. And he's on a team bus, and the pitchers are talking, and he's quiet off to himself. That doesn't mean he doesn't like being there. Maybe he doesn't like, you know, that environment. Honestly, um... You know, I'm not on team buses, but when I've taken like a, a party bus to an event and I've been in a group of people there, I tend to shy away from a lot of the loud conversation myself. And I like to talk to people for a living. That doesn't mean I don't want to be there. It just means I'm not comfortable in that environment. There's a lot of that that you got to like kind of like, you know, these members of the media who aren't exactly the life of the party when it comes to social things. Some of them like kind of like look in front of you. Love to tell people how to socialize. I mean, how are you in groups? Because I've talked to some of these guys on the phone before a uh, an interview. Not all of them are overly happy when I pick up the phone and say, hey, it's Mike Silva. And they know I'm calling because I'm saying, hey, you know, um, you know I'm going to do this at this time, whatnot. When I cold call somebody, it's not exactly like I'm... Uh, I'm calling, uh, you know, Zig Ziglar here you know, on the other line. That might date myself. That's a sales term. Or Jordan Belfort. or one of these great, you know, engaging sales types. I'm throwing some real names out there. There might be a new, you know, between last week and this week, the bingo card is going to get have to get totally revamped at that point. So I'm really not buying into this DeGrom stuff. I think he should not be booed when he comes to City Field. They should honor him. You should respect the fact that he thought Texas, whatever that vision is, could not necessarily mean apples to apples with the Mets on the field. The vision of what they want, Boche, a very respected Hall of Fame manager, by the way, 
Chris Young, an executive that the Mets try to recruit. I don't see why him appreciating their that, that vision is a bad thing. I don't. I'm not mad at him. I'm disappointed. I wanted him here. I still would have preferred him over Verlander. A lot of that is sentimental. I think there's a, a lot of great points about how Verlander is better right now in the short term for where the Mets want to go. But it would have been nice to have him and have him continue to peck up the line in the Mets history books. Kind of wait what Nimmo's going to go up the line in the Mets record books. And think about that. Nobody, I mean, first round pick that out of Wyoming, out of a barn, and people are like, hey. And then DeGrom, to a certain degree, was the same kind of story. A, a no-name draft pick for Omar, Omar Manaya's t- uh, tenure. I mean, think about that. So, and I really very disappointed in John Heyman. And I, I again, I like John. I've talked to him. Follows me on Twitter. Maybe he won't anymore. But just unprofessional. Really. I mean, what? why? Because he didn't talk to you? I mean, I, could somebody give me something concrete that DeGrom has done to the New York media? Because I, I, bad? Is it because he didn't want to wear a mask and because he they seem to believe he's not vaccinated? We don't know. Is that it? Because to me, that's not enough to be upset with him. Is it because he's from Florida? Because he he likes states that aren't politically the same as New York? I don't know. I mean, I can understand. I don't do I want to live in Texas, Dallas? No. I don't. It's not the first state I'd live in. Sometimes I don't know why I live here, but there's a reason. That's me. There are people who look at me and say, there are people who look at me and say, how can you live out in Suffolk County? I like it. It's my business. I'm not saying you have to live out here. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying there's bad things out here. I was in the village uh, two nights ago. I don't know anybody. It's from the minute I got out of the, the Uber into the restaurant and from the restaurant to I, I hitched a ride home with a friend to the parking garage. Uh, it was like stressful. Like, I, I got to look over my shoulder like half the time. Like, well, who's this? Who's here? Who's there? Like crossing the street. What bike is going to clobber me? I'm more worried about the city bikes. I don't know. I just, I don't understand why we're at this point with this guy where we're treating him. This is exactly what the Boston media does. And I hated it. They did it to Jason Bay on the way out the door. I mean, talk about, look at the history of Boston and the media and the players on the way out the door. You think Jim Rice is Jim Rice because he was treated well there? I don't know. I'm happy about who comes here. And I'm not going to begrudge DeGrom for turning the money down. And, and, and if he wants to be in Texas, which, by the way, with Bochi there and, and, and a smart GM and the way the league is now, I... Maybe he won't be part of the uh, the traveling rock group that they're trying to make here in, in Flushing, but they'll probably be good. I mean, him alone, if he's going to make thirty starts, he's going to. And I think this, I I think really ultimately, and I think this is totally underreported. And anybody who listens to the show, please give me credit if it ever comes out, because nobody likes to give me credit. I don't really care about that, but there are some things that really burn me. I think living to the expectations of 2021 and that partial season, half a season, how good he was and how that's where everybody, that's what everybody wants going forward, I think that he just didn't want to deal with that in New York because he doesn't have to be that good in Texas. He can be Verlander good. 
He could be Scherzer good. Because he's going to have dominant performances that you could point to where he's just untouchable with the slider. You know, Mike Maddox, respected pitching coach. You know, I'm not saying he didn't like Hefner, but maybe that's he connects more with these guys. He wants to be in an environment where he's comfortable, where his family's comfortable. Can't criticize him for that. Very disappointed in the media. Very disappointed. And I and I hope if you're listening and you're in that mindset, lose it. Wish the guy well. When he lines up on the other side, you want to beat him. But he gave the Mets a number of good memories. Uh, I think he'll come back. I, I mean, if he does go in the Hall of Fame, I will tell you I'm not convinced he'll go in as a Met because he might pitch another – you know, what do you pitch? 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Okay, nine years. And I don't know if he's going to get another. He might pitch another nine. I know he's going to pitch five years for Texas. Who knows if he pitches another, you know, four years for someone else after that. You know, don't worry about that. I'm not sure he's a Hall of Famer because I don't know if... It's going to be hard to view Hall of Famers for pitchers that don't win games. I mean, you could do it. I mean, they did it with Sandy Koufax, but he still won ball games. You know, he's not going to even get to the level of Pedro Martinez. In the low 200s. So, so there's that. Hope you enjoyed this edition of the Talking Mets podcast. What's next? Well, we're not going to have a Sunday show. We have a Saturday show. I think we're going to be sitting back and looking to see what's going on with Bassett and Kodai Senga. I think the rest of the offseason is going to be more opportunistic and value-driven. I don't think we're going to have a ton of hot stove. So the challenge here is a lot of the fun and a lot of what we've done up to this point leading into the holidays uh, is going to make this a different type of show. We might have to do some features. We might have to have some fun. You know, maybe do some history. Um, there'll be shows. I think we're still going to be kind of on this Kodai Senga watch and rotation watch. But outside of that, I don't think we're going to sit here and talk about uh, Adam Adovino the rest of the offseason. I just I don't see that. And uh, it was nice to see a lot of these guys start to to sign. I think uh, you know they're going to have some silliness with play, you know, fans thinking that uh, Carlos Correa, the Mets are not going into another thirty, forty million dollar year contract. They just they're not. That's done. Signing Nimmo and stretching out the payments is a lot different than going in, going after Aaron Judge and guys like that. You know, so we're we're not going to get into that kind of silly talk. Um, and who knows? Maybe a trade. I know the Mets were looking at some trades. Uh, you know, even with with Nimmo kind of potentially departing. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. I want to thank everyone for joining us. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Salat, talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Salat, talkingmetspodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care of
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.